listening to Northwest Chinese Baptist Church Podcast. To learn more about Northwest, including our gathering time, visit us at nwcbc.org. Today's speaker will be Pastor Stephen Yi. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome. Welcome to Northwest Chinese Baptist Church. I am so glad that you are here. Uh, What a blessing it is to be together, to gather together in worship of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thanks for being here today. You know, what a wonderful time of year it is, Christmas season, especially for us as the church to remember the birth, the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to invite you and I want you to make a special effort to be here next Sunday, December 24th, Christmas Eve, to join us for Christmas Eve here at Northwest, as you saw in the video or as you didn't see if you weren't here. At 10.15 a.m., we have a time of refreshments, snacks, and fellowship outside on the lawn, uh, enjoying each other's company. And then at 10.45, we have our worship service, our Christmas Eve worship service. So please plan to come at 10.15 for fellowship, visiting, and food. And then at 10.45, to celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Please make a point to come, but also invite someone. Because we're going to tell the reason why we celebrate Christmas and why it's so special. Invite your friends, invite your family, invite those that aren't, haven't put their faith in Jesus Christ yet, that they may come and they might receive the greatest gift ever given next Sunday. Would you come and will you invite someone? Secondly, as a church, I don't have three announcements, just two. As we are a church that's on mission with God, we realize we are not unaware of the lostness of our world today. And if you don't know it already, but over 59% of our world's population has not heard the name of Jesus Christ. Not just that they haven't accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior or put their faith in him, but 59% of the people in this world that have never heard the name of Jesus. And so I invite you, dear brothers and sisters, to pray, to pray that God would use Northwest Chinese Baptist Church, that God would use you and I as members of this local body here to reach those that are lost. Not only would you pray, I pray that you would be willing to give. And see, this time of year, uh, Southern Baptist, through the International Mission Board, we, we have this effort named the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering, and it's named after a missionary to China, of all places. Lottie Moon went to China to share the gospel of Jesus. And as we are collecting this offering as a church, we want you to know that 100% of your giving to the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering goes to support missionaries all around the world through the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptists. And so, dear friends, would you pray, would you give, And would you also be open to how God is leading you to go? Uh, Our goal this year as a church is to raise $4,000. And, uh, you know, we talked about Christmas shopping earlier. For some of you, $4,000, that's nothing. For some of you, $4,000 is an astronomical amount. Uh, But I want you to know every, every cent helps. Every cent helps. Proclaim the gospel and to make disciples to the ends of the earth. So would you pray, would you give, and would you be willing to go?
I got a question for you. Have you ever been in a situation that was completely out of your control where you felt desperate and in need of help? Have any of you ever been in a situation where you felt completely out of control and desperate for help? Anybody? All right. Three, four people. Most of us have felt that way at some point in time. And I know I've shared this in different places before, but I remember the first week that I got my driver's license just yesterday. No. That first week when I was 16 years old, which is a couple years ago. Why are you laughing, Deacon Larry? Yes, I'm 43. I'm old. I remember driving that first week. I got my license. I couldn't wait. Young people, I couldn't wait to get my driver's license when I was 16. I remember driving to meet up with a friend. I was so excited to be on the road. I had freedom. I had my parents' car. I was driving along the I-17, heading south. I was mindful of the speed limit. I was mindful of everything that I had studied and learned in my studies of the, the driving manual. So I'm on my way to my friend's house on the I-17, traveling south. Driving along as a responsible 16-year-old. I check my and I, I check my rear view mirrors as a responsible driver would do. And guess what I saw? I saw some Christmas lights. <laughs> Except they were red and blue. And they were flashing. And they were getting closer. And closer. It was a policeman. And I was getting pulled over. Immediately my my heart starts to sink. It feels like it's sunk. Right, I get this big ball in my throat. I'm so nervous. I'm so scared. I have this horrible feeling in my stomach. My mind is racing, thinking about all the trouble that I'm going to get into. I'm going to go to jail. I don't know what's going on. Not only that, my parents are going to kill me. I responsibly turn on my blinker. I slow down. I come to a stop at the shoulder of the road. And I wait for what seemed like an hour as the officer gathers his things and makes his way over to my driver's side. I rolled down my window. And uh, with all the the confidence I could muster up, I said, hello, sir. (laughs) Have you guys ever felt the weight of making a mistake and being in a situation that you feel is dire and and you just want to cry out for help. You don't know what to do. That was me in that moment. Hello, sir. And my eyes, I'm looking at him like, oh, I don't know what's going on. Please help me, officer. Please don't throw me in jail. Officer looked at my driver's license registration and he simply asked me one question. Do you know why I pulled you over? I really had no idea. (laughs) Honestly, I asked him, I asked him, was I speeding? He looked at me, he smiled. He said, your headlights weren't on. Turn your headlights on and have a good night. I dropped to my knees. No, I didn't drop to my knees. And I prayed, thank the officer. I thank the Lord. No, that officer that night showed me mercy. Right? He could have given me a ticket. 
He could have given me a lecture, but he knew the situation. He knew who I was in that moment, and it was, a, it was an honest mistake, but it, it could have been a dangerous mistake. You see, I cannot fully describe the feeling that night as one who was guilty but forgiven. That officer could have punished me within the, the confines of the law, but he chose not to. He let me go. And yes, this should remind us of Jesus and, and, and us as sinners, those who are broken. But today we look at the events just before Jesus went to the cross where he sacrificed his life to pay for your and my sins. And I share this story about my teenage years because I want you to know that Jesus is completely different than me. Jesus didn't sin at all. He didn't sin one time. He he didn't sin in any way. Yet he was about to face a punishment that you and I will never be able to fully comprehend or relate to. And yet as you think about Jesus going to the cross, Jesus suffering as our suffering servant, I want you to think about his perspective. It was so unlike mine who was like a little helpless child looking at the officer for mercy. Jesus was fully man. And he was fully God. He had a confidence. He had hope. He knew what was happening. He knew what was to come. And he willingly was going to give his life. And so in his eyes, I want you to know, it wasn't helplessness and despair. In his eyes, it was compassion and love. In his eyes, was commitment. Jesus was sovereign. He's in complete control and planned for it all the whole time. And in his most dire moments, there was no fear. Yet there was sadness. There was sorrow. And this morning, we're looking at Mark chapter 14, verses 12 through 52. And I apologize, I made mistakes on that outline. We're only going to verse 52 this morning. And we're going to read it section by section as we study through it. But as we study this passage of Scripture in Mark chapter 14, I want you to know also we're nearing the end of the Gospel of Mark. We're going to finish the whole thing. But as we study this passage, I pray that each of us will see, and that's the truth for life that's, that's listed there in your outline, that Jesus Christ is the suffering servant who took our place on the cross. You see, if you look at your outline, you see a question there, what is love? And and there's another error, and I forgot to delete that, because that was from last week, but none of you remember that. Actually, two weeks ago. The question should be, who is Jesus? And see, the first point that I want to make that we see here is that Jesus is sovereign over circumstances. Jesus is sovereign. That means he's completely in control all of the time of everything, because he is God. He is sovereign over circumstances, and he uses even human evil to accomplish his plans. And I want to ask you to do something right now before we read this first section of Scripture. I want to ask you to stand with me. If I have to stand, you need to stand. No. We stand because our God is amazing. I want to read just this first section to you. I'm not going to make you stand every section, but, uh, but uh, in this first section, uh, as we honor our God, as we read God's word, I'm going to read it out loud. Would you just follow along with me silently? I'm going to read from, from chapter, Mark chapter 14, verses 12 through 16 right now. 
I'll read it out loud, and please just follow along silently on the screen. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, Where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples, telling them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, The teacher asks, Where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city, and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for this beautiful morning. I thank you for my beautiful brothers and sisters, my friends that have come here this morning to worship you. And some maybe come here today, God, just... They don't know why they're here. But God, we know, I know why we are here. It's because of you. And so God, I pray that as we study your word, which, is, which are your very words to us, I pray, God, that you would open our hearts. I pray that you'd open our minds. I pray that you open our eyes and our ears to see you, to hear you, to know you more, to know what it is and how it is that you're trying to teach us and guide us and lead us today. God, I pray that, that we would look and only hear your words, God. I pray that I would not get in the way. But God, I I know that you brought us here to hear from you this morning. And so God, I pray that as you speak, help us to listen. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Jesus is sovereign. He is in complete control of all things at all times because he is not just a baby. He is fully man and he is fully God. And we see here God uses circumstances, even human evil, to accomplish his plans. And I want us to look at the timing and the context of what's happening here, when and where it's happening. Right? This is the Jewish time of Passover. And what was Passover? The time the Jews would celebrate God's provision in saving them from oppression and slavery. When God freed them, right, from the clutches of Pharaoh in Egypt. And so Passover was this celebration, right? Remembering how God spared their firstborn by the blood of the sacrificial lamb that they put over their doorposts. You see, this was the first day, the first day of unleavened bread when they sacrificed the Passover lamb. That was supposed to be Thursday. And what did the disciples do? What's their question? Jesus, where are we going to have the meal? Where's dinner at, Jesus? The the disciples want to know where the memorial meal will take place so that they can make preparations, right? And you look at verses, look at verses 13 through 15 again. We see Jesus giving them these precise instructions. And what are they, basically? Go into the city, and when you go into the city, a man carrying a, a jar of water will find you. Say to that owner of the house that that man with the jar of water leads you to and say this the teacher asks where is my guest room where i may eat passover with my disciples and that person that homeowner will show you a large room upstairs completely furnished and ready to have the passover meal now i don't know about you but to me that sounds pretty amazing right hey guys just go into the city when you go in the city a guy that's carrying a water jug is going to find you And uh, I want you to say this to that man that's carrying a water jug. 
as he's leading you to go to some house that maybe you don't know. And uh, you're going to find the owner of the house, and I want you to say this to him. And just ask him, where's my guest room? Where am I having dinner tonight? And that homeowner is going to show you a room that's already prepared. Sometimes I read over that year after year, and I just figure, well, yeah, that, that's just where they're going to go to have the Passover meal. But how they got there, it's amazing. I can only imagine what it would have been like for those two disciples witnessing God provide in that divine way. <laughs> I don't know. Any Star Wars fans that want to admit it? All right, some of you aren't raising your hand. I know you are. Okay, but it makes me think about Star Wars a little bit. You will show us the guest room. You will give us a place to eat the meal. It will be large and completely furnished. It didn't happen like that. But this meal, right, is so symbolic. It points to what? The grace. It points to the provision. It points to the love. It points to the mercy of God. It's not just any kind of meal. This was the Passover meal that pointed back in history to their ancestors and how God saved them and spared them and provided for them. And yet here they are with Jesus doing something that they would do every year. But this year, it meant something different. It hit a little bit differently. Because Jesus is the ultimate Passover lamb. He would shed his blood, not just to save the firstborn, but to forgive many for their sins. Right? This time when people were supposed to remember God, yet think about this. This was a time where the people that he loved were plotting to kill him and murder him. You know, a long time ago, I stopped saying the word lucky. I know some of you still use the word lucky today. And I know you don't mean it as lucky, um, but you should stop saying it. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ. I stopped saying the word lucky and talking about life like it's some random chain of circumstances a long time ago. And do you know why I stopped talking like that? Oh, I was really lucky. You know, the policeman didn't give me a ticket. I stopped talking like that and using that word because I know and I learned that God is sovereign. God is God and he is in complete control of all things at all times and he has a plan for you and for me. And it includes even my sin. Not to say that God made me sin, or, but in my sin, God is sovereign and still in control to use even my sin to not, for only, not only for my good, but for his glory. See, he will use even the evil sin of man to accomplish his divine plans. And I ask you, dear friends, dear brothers and sisters, what circumstances do you find yourselves in today? I want you to know that God is here. Emmanuel, God with us, he came. He has a plan. It's for your good and it's for his glory. And what do I mean by when I say it's for his glory? It means it's going to point to how great God is. I encourage you, dear friend, ask him for help. Some of you have are in a situation or find yourselves in circumstances where you don't know what to do and you can't help but just cry out for help. I encourage you, dear friend, to go to Jesus. Cry out to him because he's here. Not only that, but be open to how he's leading you and trying to teach you and guide you. 
Not only that, but be open to how he will provide for you. And maybe it's not the way that you wanted or the way that you thought that he would provide, but maybe the most important thing that you need to do today is simply trust him and surrender your life to him. You see, God is sovereign. And he is sovereignly working out every detail of his plan. And that includes you, and that includes me. As you continue to look at this passage, we see also that he uses difficulty to direct our paths. Look at verses 17 through 21. I want to read those out loud. You can stay seated. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. And while they were reclining at the table eating, he said, truly, I tell you, One of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened, and one by one, they said to him, Surely you don't mean me. It is one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Wow. So as Jesus and his disciples, right, are are reclining at the table, eating, sharing this meal together, Jesus tells them, tells his closest followers, his best buddies, like a family, right, his brothers. All of you guys are going to betray me. One of you will betray me. Imagine that. Can you imagine this? Put it into your own context. Whatever it is, if you gather together during these times or any special occasion, and you're with your family, or you're with those that you love, and at the dinner table, you tell your family, one of you is going to betray me and murder me. One of you is going to betray me and lead to my murder. Crazy, right? What does he say, though? What does Jesus say? You should know this already, because it's all been written, he says. All this stuff has been written already. You know the word. You know the the prophecies of the Old Testament. You know what is to happen. God gave his words to the prophets of old, to your ancestors. But there's something else that I want you to look at here. Look at what Jesus says about the one who will betray him. Now today, we know exactly who's going to betray him, right? His name is Judas. Judas, one of the 12. But look at what he says about Judas. Judas. Woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better if you were not even born. Jesus is sovereign. Yet look at how there's also this element of human choice that is part of how God made us. Now, I'm not here to get into a big theological debate, but but I, I do want us to learn something from this. This challenging piece here for some of us between God's sovereignty and our human will. See, I want you to know, Jesus is not putting Judas down here. He is not surprised about what is going to happen. Jesus knows full well what is going to happen. He knows that Judas will betray him. And I want you to know that Jesus loves Judas. Jesus is is condemning the sin that Judas would choose to commit. And, And here, as we think about God and getting to know God, some of us are quick to draw lines in the sand and think that everything there is to learn about God is either or. Let's take, for instance, the issue of salvation. How many of you want to know what it takes to be saved for the rest of forever? How many of you want to know what it, what it is the key, what's the key to heaven? Well, who is it that saves? 
Jesus. Jesus saves. And so if Jesus saves, that means I play no part in it and my choice doesn't matter. Right? Some of us think that it's either or, this or that. But I want to encourage you, dear friends, sometimes we need to think in ways that are both and, rather either or. Is Jesus in complete control? Yes. All right. That's, is Jesus the only one that saves? Yes. Are we saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ? Please say yes. Do those that are saved make a decision to respond to God with, in faith? Yes. So God is in full control at all times in every way. He is sovereign, yet he also leads the people that he loves to make a choice to trust him in obedience. How that completely works, we will never fully understand on this side of heaven. That God is completely sovereign, that he leads us to choose to trust him and surrender our lives to him in his divine sovereignty and power. It's an amazing mystery. These circumstances we see Jesus in here are are horrible, right? Your closest loved ones betray you and you're leading on a path, you're headed on a path of murder and suffering. But he is faithful. You see, in looking at Jesus' example, it should lead us to trust him and obey him because he is God and there is no one like him. The third evidence of his sovereignty is this. He uses a meal to remind us of our master. Look at verses 22 through 25. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly, I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink new in the kingdom of God. So remember, this is the Passover meal. And I want to explain the Passover meal a little bit more. Traditionally, in the Passover meal, it was centered around elements, right? There are certain foods, certain uh, drinks that were uh, traditionally partaken of. Right, But they all pointed to God's provision and promises. They all pointed back to the, the relationship and the experience that the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, had with God. And one of those traditions was to have four different times uh, of taking a drink of wine. And what did these four glasses of wine represent? They represented four promises made by God in the book of Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 through 7. And I just want to read it to you very quick. Exodus chapter 6, verse 6 through 7. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with, a might, with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. So in verse 23, this is referring to that third cup of wine. Uh, I don't know if you drank three full cups of wine. That's not the point, all right? He wasn't drunk, okay? Jesus did not sin. But this third cup of wine, Jesus is sharing about when he says, this cup is a new covenant in my my blood. Do this in remembrance of me, right? The new covenant 
If there's a new covenant, then there's an old covenant too, right? This is the blood covenant you see in the Old Testament. You can write this down. Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. There were laws. There were things that God called his people to do for the forgiveness of their sins and for the awareness that they have sinned. And that sin breaks their relationship with him and that they need to do something. There needs to be a sacrifice in order for that relationship to be made right again. And the sacrifice had to be a blood sacrifice. Blood had to be shed. Jesus says, this cup represents the new covenant in my blood. Jesus was a suffering servant of the Lord who would shed his blood for, for the forgiveness of many. This is profoundly shocking, isn't it? First, Jesus makes a connection from Old Testament prophecy to what he's going to be doing. And secondly, he commands his disciples, you need to remember me from here on out. And this is the way that I want you to remember me through this meal. What? Think of the implications of what Jesus is commanding. Remember me because I'm special. And he is because he is God. Then in verse 24, Jesus, is, Jesus refuses to drink that fourth cup, right? He says, I'm not going to drink any of the, the, vine of the, the juice of the vine of the fruit. That's talking about that fourth cup because it's that fourth cup that's the cup of consummation and life in the promised land. And it is yet to come, right? Jesus, yes, he died on the cross. He rose from the dead. He ascended to heaven. But when he ascended to heaven, he said, I'm coming back. Right? Christmas. Oftentimes we talk about Advent, the coming of Jesus, anticipating the coming of Jesus. Well, dear brothers and sisters, as we celebrate Christmas and the birth of Jesus, we should also celebrate as followers of Jesus that he's coming up, coming back soon to take us home. And the second thing is this, that we need to see from this. Jesus is faithful to the end. Jesus is faithful to the end. He was abandoned and left alone. Look at verses 26 to 31. When they had sung a hymn, they, they went out to the Mount of Olives. You will all fall away, Jesus told them. Wow. For it is written, you all know, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if I fall away, I will not. Or even if all fall away, I will not. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered today, yes, tonight before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. Jesus, again, quotes Old Testament prophecy Jesus quotes Zechariah chapter 13, speaking of the disciples who would, who would all betray him. Even Peter, one of the most devout and passionate followers of Jesus, would reject him not once, not twice, but three times. Jesus' suffering didn't just happen on the cross. Dear friends, do you see it? Dear brothers and sisters, never forget it. All of this was suffering. Your closest friends, loved ones, betray you. He was abandoned and left alone. Imagine the most crucial and painful time in your life and the people that are closest to you turn away. 
Jesus was abandoned and alone, and yet he, was also, he also suffered anguish and agony. Look at verses 32 through, through 42. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you sleeping? Could you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning a third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Friends, are you sleeping? Enough. This is Jesus. I'm not saying enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise. Let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Think about this. Jesus took his closest disciples, Peter, James, and John, with him to pray in his most dire time of need. So what do you, who do you have here? Peter, the rock. James and John, sons of thunder. Wow, super team, right? You know you're special if people give you a nickname, all right? Any of you have a nickname? Don't share it. You tell me later, okay? I'll tell you my nickname later. I'm not special. I don't have a nickname. Jesus prays, right, in his time of need, going to his father, right, in prayer. And yet when he comes and he sees his friends, they're fast asleep. Not once, not twice, but three times. And he was deeply distressed and troubled, right? He said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch. Keep watch, please. Look at what he prayed. We know that Jesus was praying so intensely that his sweat was like drops of blood. Why? Why was he so overwhelmed? Why was he so distressed? Why was he so sad? Because Jesus knew what he was about to do and he knew who he was about to do it for. He would be betrayed. Abandoned, tried, tortured, cursed, and killed. And in the time of his need, his friends were asleep. You see, when you keep looking, you see also that he was arrested and forsaken. Verse 43, just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared with him. It was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under the guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting his ear off. Am I leading a rebellion, Jesus said, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you teaching in the temple courts and you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. This might have been Mark. 
When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. We see that Jesus was arrested and forsaken. While Jesus was talking, Judas, one of the 12 disciples, right, showed up with an armed mob of the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders, like the temple police. Judas had it all planned out. The one that he would kiss would be the one that they are to arrest. And so he kisses Jesus on the cheek, and they arrest Jesus with no charges at all, which was totally against the law. They apprehended Jesus. In the commotion, right? What do we see? We see the rock. The rock pulls out his sword and he swings it. I don't know how he swung it, but it is not, he was not accurate. All right? I don't think he's just trying to cut off the ear to prove a point. Peter swings the sword, cuts off the ear of Malchus, who's a servant of the high priest. And you see in Luke's account of the gospel that Jesus stops the scuffle and he heals Malchus's ear. Dear friends, Jesus was faithful to the end. There's no refuting the person and the ministry of Jesus. He is the fulfillment of the prophecies of old. And when you look at what Isaiah said in Isaiah 53, write that down. Study that this week as we we head towards Christmas. Isaiah chapter 53 was written hundreds of years before Jesus was born. And yet Jesus fulfilled it. He was despised and rejected by men. He was taken away and judged. He was counted as a rebel. Jesus is the suffering servant that Isaiah prophesied about in Isaiah 53 who came to save many from their sins. And see, the events here in the garden, I want to finish with this. As we look at, at, at the events that, that led up to Jesus sacrificing everything for you and for me. And we're going to talk about that next week. And what a glorious portion of scripture that will be. And to highlight the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Who didn't just come to be a baby. But came to die. And pay it all for you and for me. The events here in the Garden of Gethsemane. Is a prelude to the cross of Calvary. You see, before he could surrender his body to be beaten and crucified on the cross, Jesus first surrendered his will to his heavenly Father. He did it in the garden here. He said, God, if this is your will, let it be done. Not my will, but yours. In that first garden, the Garden of Eden, what happened? Adam said to God, God, not your will, but my will, God. And all of creation was broken because of sin. But look at the second garden, the garden of Gethsemane. Jesus, the second Adam says, not my will, God, but your will be done. And what happened? The redemption and salvation of all creation began. And so I ask you, dear friend, dear brother and sister, in light of who Jesus is and what he has done, what is it that you will say to him today and every day? Will you say, God, not your will, not your will right now, God. I don't got time for that. I'm going to do my will, God. Or will you say, Jesus, I want your will to be done. I believe in you. I know I'm a sinner, and I ask you to forgive me. I confess you to be my Lord today. See, that's the real gift of Christmas, if you didn't know. 
Jesus. He's our only hope. He planned for you. He loves you. He's calling you to trust him. That's what Christmas is all about. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father God, we praise you. You are God Almighty. You are sovereign. You are, thank you, God, for being faithful. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that we get to read it and study it, and we get to see your example and see what happened so long ago. Well, God, we also get to see how amazing it was and how in Jesus Christ there's hope, in Jesus Christ there's peace, in Jesus Christ only can we find joy. And God, I pray for my friend that is here today. And maybe after studying this today, they realize that they need Jesus and they want you, Jesus, to be their Savior and their Lord. And I pray that they would just say this out loud right now. And not because it's magical, but because it expresses the desire of their heart that they would just say this and just say, God, thank you for loving me. God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know I'm not perfect. But God, I ask Jesus to forgive me of all my sin. God, I believe that Jesus Christ is your son. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross, and I believe that you rose from the dead. Jesus, I believe that if I, if I confess you as my Lord today, and if I believe in you today, that my sins are forgiven and that you've saved me. God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for your amazing grace and your unending mercy. Jesus, I want to follow you all the way to heaven. God, I pray that if my friend just prayed that today, that's truly the, the desire of their heart, that they would know beyond the shadow of a doubt that their sins are forgiven, that they've been given new, eternal life in Jesus Christ. I want them to know that this is the greatest Christmas ever because they finally received the greatest gift ever, and that's you. And yet, God, I also pray for my brothers and sisters. Maybe we've heard the story over and over, and maybe some of us tune it out. And maybe we get caught up in the hustle and bustle and the buying of presents and the giving of gifts and we get angry at, at, our, at our families and loved ones. We think about all the things that aren't going right in our life and yet we're thankful for some time off so that we can think about it some more. And God, I pray that the thing that we come away with, the one, the, the person that we come away with this morning today is you, Jesus. And I pray not only would, be, would we settle in the comfort and the hope that our sins are forgiven, that we're going to spend the rest of eternity with you in heaven. But yet, God, I pray that it would lead us to live a life for you of total surrender and trust and obedience, to live a life as you created us to live, telling the world of the good news of your son, Jesus. God, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me? As we do at Northwest, we have this time of response. And if God has led you to put your trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior today, as we sing the song, I invite you to come and share it with me so that I can rejoice with you and encourage you and pray with you. Brother and sister, if God's leading you to take a step of obedience today in some other way, would you come as we sing? You're welcome to pray at these steps. You're welcome to come and talk with me and share with me so that I can pray with you. But let's respond to God today. And you don't have to come up front to respond to God. But what a cool thing that we can do to encourage one another while we're gathered together as we sing. Would you come? If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to follow us on Spotify and hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you stream your podcast. 
To listen to other sermons and watch our live gatherings, visit us online at nwcbc.org. We look forward to see the difference God will make in your life. Thank you for listening to Northwest Chinese Baptist Church Podcast.